your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John is at the end of your Bible, practically. 1 John, it comes before 2 John and 3 John. 1 John, chapter 2, within God's Word this morning, as we prepare in a few moments to read our main text. I'll read our main text uh, in three different parts throughout the message this morning as we give and render the final message in our sermon series, The Anointing. The Anointing. How many of you, how many of you would like to have another year uh, of, of, uh, of pre-election TV commercials, pre-election TV news? How many, how many of you would like to have another year of pre-election uh, TV debates. Uh, how many are sick of it already and you'd like to have it all over? Okay. My, believe me, I did see a few hands that wanted a whole other year uh, of it. One evening, one evening a grandson wanted to hear his gr grandfather's reflections on current events. He wanted to hear his grandpa's opinion on the 21st century and all the amazing advanced technological successes that our world has enjoyed, the new age of man. The grandfather replied to his grandson, well, let me think a minute. I was born way before 8-track and cassette tapes. I was born before CDs and DVDs. I, I was born, your grandmother and I, before ATM machines and the pill. We were born before space travel was literal. The space travel that we knew about was Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and only appeared on the movie or TV screen. The grandfather related to his grandson, in my day, uh, grass was mowed. Coke was a cold drink. Pot was something that your grandmother cooked in. In my day, aides were helpers in the principal's office. A chip meant a piece of wood. Hardware could only be bought in a hardware store. And software, that word software, wasn't even invented yet. Your grandmother and I got married first, and then we lived together. In our day, every family had a father and a mother. Until I was 25, I called every woman older than me, ma'am. And after I turned 25, I still called policemen and every man with a title, sir. Grandson, your grandmother and I, we were before school shootings. We were before mall shootings. We were before workplace shootings. We were before police shootings. We were before gay rights, transgender rights, abortion rights, and same-sex marriage. And we were the last generation to actually believe that a baby needed a husband. A lady needed a husband to have a baby. Our lives were governed by the Bible, good judgment, and common sense. We were taught to know the difference between right and wrong and to stand up and take responsibility for our actions. We wouldn't dare bow down during the singing of the national anthem. When the national anthem was sung, we placed our hand over our heart and, and proudly stood for our nation. These United States of America living in this country is the greatest privilege of all. Now here's the shocker. How old is this granddad in my story? He's only 60 years old. In my people dealings in the last month, 
as your pastor, both in our community and in our congregation. I have never, ever experienced, both as a private citizen and as a public figure, I have never, ever before experienced such, such pre-election gloom and doom as we are experiencing in these days. It's as though we're on the precipice of the great American dream becoming the great American nightmare. But I'm here this morning <laughs> to share with you good news. Do you want to hear good news? I want to remind you that it's against the backdrop of darkness that his light shines the brightest. My Bible and your Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace, say it with me, grace did much more abound. In our message, in my message series, The Anointing, the Lord has given me a final word. He's laid a final word upon my heart to deliver to you this morning. Uh, uh, it's more than a word. I want to share with you a lifestyle uh, that you and I can embrace in these days of darkness that the enemy might throw at us uh, in these end times. The word that I want to share with you this morning, just before we pray, the word that I want to share with you is entitled, The Last Days Anointing. The last day. God has an anointing for you and I as we move in victory, not in depression, in victory through these last days. Father, in the name of Jesus, even right now, Lord, we, pr we know that this is an auspicious hour. We know that this is a pivotal point in human history. And Lord, in this moment that we have together as the Lakeside family, I ask, Lord, that you'll wake us up both physically and spiritually. I pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive. Uh, thus saith the Lord this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And all God's people in agreement would say, Amen. The last day's anointing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. John says here, Dear children, this is the last hour. What John is saying here is that this is the last age. These are the end times. These are the last days. Write it down with me. No other world religion has a holy book. Are you aware of this? Like the Bible. Stack the Bible against the Koran. Stack it against any holy book that you want to name. There is nothing comparable to the prophetic accuracy of the Bible. More than 25% of the Bible is prophetic. It deals with the future. With most prophecies focusing on the end times or our world's last days. You know, the predictive accuracy of the Bible's prophecies, they are astonishing. I want you to consider the case of mathematics and astronomy professor Dr. Peter Stoner. Dr. Stoner was an agnostic. Dr. Stoner denied the credibility of God's Word or the authenticity of Jesus Christ. As a skeptic, he wanted to put to the test the Bible's many prophecies concerning the first, the first coming of Jesus Christ. If you'll open up the first half of your Old Testament sometime, you will discover that there are hundreds, hundreds of prophecies, predictions of the first coming of Jesus Christ. For instance, that he would come into Jerusalem riding a donkey, that he would be crucified upon a cross, he'd be crucified between criminals, that he would be buried in a rich man's grave. Forty-eight of those prophecies were loaded with detail and specificity. Dr. Stoner and his graduate students, you can Google this, undertook the mathematical odds 
for 48 prophecies, some 1,000, some 500 years, given before the fulfillment. What were the mathematical odds of one person, Jesus of Nazareth, fulfilling just 48 of hundreds of prophecies regarding the first coming of Jesus Christ? He mathematically demonstrated, along with his students, one chance in 10 with 157 zeros behind it, a number that is so huge, odds that are so astronomical, our mental, uh, our mental faculty cannot wrap our minds around it. I share that to demonstrate what I'm about to share with you is more true than the sun coming up tomorrow morning in the east. Bible prophecy can be counted on because God can be counted on. The book of the Bible, which reveals the planet Earth's last days more than any other, is the last book of the Bible, the book of what? Revelation, which devotes most of its time, it devotes its greatest warning to the seven-year great tribulation, the great tribulation. The great tribulation will be characterized the Bible says, by bloody wars, ecological catastrophe, famine, pestilence, raging continental fires, uh, uh, killer earthquakes, a horrific asteroid impact, the unleashing of weapons of mass destruction beyond imagination, nuclear holocaust, Armageddon. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life, uh, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Oh, mark it with me, one of the great tribulation's chief nightmares will be the coming world leader. The coming world leader. The world will embrace this Superman as a new age Messiah. This coming world dictator will have more than a dynamic personality. He will have a devil-possessed personality. The Bible reveals as the son of Satan, the seed of Satan, he will be possessed and empowered by the very spirit of hell. The New Testament, you need to understand this, the New Testament uses three titles, three titles to describe this future world dictator's attributes and his coming actions. The New Testament reveals that he is the man of sin. The man of sin, or a man of lawlessness. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Do we witness a falling away right now? And that man of sin, there's the title, be revealed the son of perdition or destruction. This means that the coming world dictator will initiate a complete reversal of all that we deem moral and traditional family values. The coming world dictator will make wrong right and right wrong. The book of Revelation also reveals the coming world dictator as the beast. It's the book of Revelation that uses the title the beast exclusively. Revelation 13 declares they worship the dragon or Satan for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? God uses the word beast to describe the beastly brutality of this coming world dictator. He will be beastly in the wars that he wages, in the slaughter, the brutality of his nature. History tells us that in the first 
13 years of Adolf Hitler's leadership, more than 60 million people were killed and slaughtered directly or indirectly because of Hitler's leadership. But in just 42 months of the world dictator's leadership in his rise to power and the wars that he will wage, the Bible reveals to us that more than one quarter of the planet will perish in today's population figures. That's more than one and a half billion souls, a number that we cannot even imagine. The third title the New Testament utilizes for the world dictator is Antichrist. You will never find the title Antichrist in the book of Revelation. It is used exclusively by John in 1 John. 1 John 2, again our main text, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Anti, circle that prefix, anti. Many Christians think that means in opposition to. You are wrong. Anti in the Greek, it's a Greek prefix that means substitutes for or stands in place of. The Antichrist will come on the world stage as a New Age Messiah. He will enter the Holy of Holies and commit the ultimate blasphemy as he enters into the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem where all the plans have already been put into motion for a rebuilt temple. It's the only piece of the jigsaw to come before the coming Antichrist. He'll enter the Holy of Holies and he'll enthrone himself as God in flesh and demand that all the world worship him as he deifies himself as the ultimate and orders that any that do not worship him or his statue will be immediately executed. Antichrist. Yet the worst aspect of the Great Tribulation will be not the Antichrist. I submit to you that the worst nightmare of the Great Tribulation will be the absence of the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You need to understand that when the church is raptured, the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, His presence, His power, His peace that we now enjoy will be gone. Entirely. Vanished. Just as the present ministry of the Holy Spirit had a beginning. When did the present ministry of the Holy Spirit that we now enjoy, that we now experience, when did it begin? On the day of Pentecost, not in the Old Testament, not during the days of Jesus, but on the day of Pentecost, almost 2,000 years ago, that's when the present ministry of the Holy Spirit began. As it had a beginning, so it will have an ending. Do you have scripture on that? You know your pastor does. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you know what is restraining him. Who's the him here? Right next to it, Antichrist. Paul's talking about the Antichrist being restrained, being held back. What is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Hey, Paul, don't we know it? We watch it on every night on our TV news. Now listen to what Paul says when he prophesies. Only he who now restrains it. Who's the he now? This is the Holy Spirit. He is the restrainer. Only he who now restrains. The Antichrist will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is out of the way. 
After the rapture, the Holy Spirit's present ministry, the Holy Spirit, who is the prime mover of morality and decency and goodness in our world, will be gone, missing, completely. There'll be no more full gospel churches that you can attend. Uh, there'll be no more public praise and worship services. There'll be no more public prayer meetings. There'll be no more Christian radio or TV broadcasting. Holy Spirit anointed public preaching will be no more. Invitations to get right with God. Invitations to know Jesus as your only Savior. Invitations to make heaven your home will be no more. They will be illegal. They'll be deemed prejudicial, intolerant, bigoted. The general outpouring, the general wooing, the general tugging of the Holy Spirit upon men's and women's souls will be no more. It is over. And God's word of Genesis 6-3 will be fulfilled. My spirit shall not always strive with man. In that day, now in the absence of the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, in that void, an unholy spirit will be poured out of hell. A flood tide of evil so wicked it would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush and wince where there had been an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, now there's a baptism of demonic evil. If you think I'm entering hyperbole or exaggeration, if you think I'm dramatizing the truth of God's Word, think of what our children and our grandchildren are growing up with. And we are becoming desensitized to. Think of the moral meltdown that they are witnessing. Think of the perversion on parade that they are experiencing. Think of the mass shootings, the anarchy in our streets, an abortion holocaust. Now magnify that, multiply that many, 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 many times over and you still will not even come close to what the great tribulation will be like when the comforting ministry, the abiding, empowering, equipping uh, ministry of God the Holy Spirit is gone. Well, Pastor, thanks a lot. I came to church this morning to get encouraged. You've scared the willies out of me. I came here to be uplifted. I came here to give a positive word. Well, I'm positive about this. The storm is coming. The storm is coming. The storm is coming. And I will not bury my head in the sand. I will not preach a people-pleasing message. I will proclaim the good news of the gospel in the hour of storm. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit has an anointing. His light shines the brightest in the darkness. Hallelujah. For my spirit will not always strive with man, but <laughs> it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. There is a last day's anointing of joy, a last day's anointing of God confidence. There's a last day's anointing of steadfastness that declares, I will not, I cannot, I shall not be moved. Here I stand. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. He's in his church. Hey, I've read the end of the book. How about you? It doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar of victory. We win. We win. So let's act like it. And let's receive his winning spirit. Let's read the end of our main text this morning, 1 John 2. Let's read it again. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. But you have received an anointing from the Holy One. Hallelujah. Don't hold your head in gloom and doom. Lift up your head. Uh, open your mouth. Open your heart and receive all that God has for you. Hallelujah. There is a last day's anointing from the Holy One to deal with anything that hell would dish out.
Oh, when that gets a hold of your spirit, uh, you're never the same. We've been preaching in this series when we talk about the word, the anointing. The anointing. Now, Pentecostals know what that term means immediately. But let's define and describe it once again. The first half of the Bible, the largest portion, is known as the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were three types of people that God especially, especially used, empowered, equipped, uh, enabled to do his purposes for his glory. God especially protected them, empowered them for victory, again, for his glory. These three types were prophets, priests, and kings. Each of these were dedicated to their office, their ministry. They were equipped to do mighty feats before God of faithfulness. They were set apart and consecrated through a symbolic act where oil was poured from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, olive oil. This oil was an outward symbol of an inward spiritual reality. The spiritual reality of the third person of the Holy Trinity. God the Holy Spirit uh, infusing uh, His presence, His person, His power in their life, accentuating and enhancing the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit within them. What God did in the Old Testament, He wants to do for you. In the whole Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit came on people individually. But after the day of Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all. Hallelujah. For all that call upon the name of the Lord. For all that ask that they might receive. For all that seek that they might find. For all that knock and the door is opened unto them. In the Old Testament, God was for his people Israel. In the Gospels, God was Emmanuel with his people through his son Christ Jesus. But after the day of Pentecost, God was not only for, God was not only with, but now God the Holy Spirit is in his people. Hallelujah. Again, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. We cannot do God's work without God's power. God's last day's anointing will empower you to walk with discernment in a day of deception. John says in 1 John 2, for the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you know the truth. So I'm not writing to you as those who need to know the truth, but I warn you as those who can discern the difference between true and false. If there was ever a day that our young people, our children, our grandchildren, mom and dad, you sir, you ma'am, need to be able to understand what is truth and what is deception. It is today. It is today. Study, study the last day's signs of Jesus Christ. Study his prophecies. What's number one? What tops the list? Not earthquakes, not famine, not pestilence, not war. What tops the list of Jesus' last day prophecies? Deception. Be not deceived. Students, young men and women, when you are taught to look within that you are your own savior, you are your own God, I want you to know that's nothing but old secular humanism. That's nothing but the old lie that the serpent gave Eve in the Garden of Eden. You shall be like gods. It's deception. We produced 
a generation that's declared that there's no absolute right and there's no absolute wrong. What is moral is what I feel good about. What is moral, immoral is what I feel bad about. There is no God. We are gods. We make the rules. The unborn are nothing but fetal tissue. There's nothing wrong with premarital sex. There's nothing wrong in having an extramarital fling. It spices up your marriage. Uh, everybody's doing it. And, and by the way, being gay is okay. And what is all those deceptions? What have all those lies gotten us? It's got us a generation riddled with unprecedented sexual transmitted diseases, unprecedented divorce rates, dysfunctional homes, anarchy in our streets, chaos in the moral order, and an abortion holocaust. Yet I submit to you that religious deception, religious deception is the deadliest of all. Paul the Apostle warned about this in 1 Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Demons. We are witnessing the fruit of that right now. Watch your news. Listen, no matter if it's the Mormons... No matter if it's the Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Science, or Tom Cruise, God bless them, pray for them, and Scientology. I want you to know it's deception. It's a lie from the father of lies. By the way, there's nothing new about the new age. Study world history. Study the occultic practices of the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Babylonians. The new age is nothing but an old lie. If you want to know the future, if you want to know about tomorrow, read God's Word. Read God's Word. He tells us how the world will end, when it will end, hallelujah, and the victory for God's people when it does end. Read God's Word. Listen, just because there's some new seminar, some new conference, some new TV show that some personality is bragging or advertising about miracles and manifestations doesn't mean it's from God. Pastor Hal and I down through the years have witnessed where the church can become a revolving door. And we have ministered down through the years to church hoppers. Church hoppers who hop about to be under the spout where the glory comes out. And they're chasing some new miracle, some new manifestation that they hear is happening over ABC XYZ Church. Hey, everybody loves miracles. I love miracles. I love manifestations. But be sure of the source. Be sure that it lines up with this word. Look and see who takes the bow. Look and see who gets the applause. Look and see who gets the glory. If it doesn't line up with God's word, run like the wind. Be not deceived in an age of deception. Listen, when you watch the liberal clergy unite gays in holy matrimony or ordain gays into the, the holy ministry, that's not only an abomination before God, it's deception. Peter the apostle said there will be false teachers among you. Many will follow their evil teaching that there is nothing wrong with sexual sin. And because of them, Christ and his way will be scoffed at. And listen, I, I don't want to offend. But I'm duty-bound to preach this book, to preach this word. If it's in the book, I preach and I teach it. If it's not here, it's the tradition of man. And it needs to be rejected. I don't want to offend, but it's deception to pray for the dead and to try to pray the dead into heaven. It's deception to pray to the saints. It's deception to pray to Mother Mary, hoping that somehow your prayers are going to get to God. It's deception to perform a good work or, or, or to confess your sins to a priest to save your soul. My Bible and your Bible says in 1 Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator. 
one mediator. That mediator is not a saint, not Mother Mary, between God and mankind. Who is that mediator? The man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. That's right. It's deception that believes all faiths, all religions lead to God. That's the deception that will set the stage for the coming one world religion, the coming one world church, a counterfeit church, the church of the Antichrist. Pastor, I've been listening to you. Preacher, as far as I'm concerned, you're a narrow, rigid, intolerant, prejudicial, self-righteous, self-loathing bigot. Well, that's okay. My message is the same as that of Jesus Christ, who said, <laughs> I said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me, Jesus said. I want to remind you, only one died upon the cross of Calvary. Only one shed his precious blood for you and I. Only one broke the bonds of sin, hell, and death in the grave and ascended to the Father and has sat down at the right hand of the power of God. And that one is not Muhammad. That one is not Buddha or Confucius or even Mother Mary. Tell me who that one is. His name is Jesus. Jesus Jesus, and there's no other name given in heaven and earth whereby you and I might be saved. You can laugh, but I'm going to worship that name. I'm going to exalt that name. Precious is that name. The name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, a sin-sick soul is born again and saved. And God makes a way where there seems to be no way as that one can live with Jesus forever. At the name of Jesus, when a Christian, when the weakest Christian prays the name of Jesus, demons tremble. At that name... Our Lord's last day's anointing is a holy boldness which pierces any darkness. When the early church, read it in the book of Acts, when the early church faced her midnight hour, and it's coming, church, it's coming. When the early church faced her midnight hour, when the church in the book of Acts faced her first threat of persecution, imprisonment, torture, and death, how did she respond? Did the early church organize a massive boycott? They, they fill out petitions. Did they boycott products? Did they protest? Did they find the ultimate answer in the ballot box? I'm here to tell you today they prayed. And the answer is not ultimately in the ballot box. You need to vote. That's your God-given right. That's your American right. You need to vote. But the answer is ultimately not found in the ballot box. Never has been, never will be. The answer is found in the prayer closet. And like the early church, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray as never before. What did the early church pray for? We know how they responded. What did they pray for? Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Oh God, bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Do it again. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Here's the Bible quiz question. Was this the first time they were filled with the Holy Spirit? All of these had already been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a fresh move, a fresh inbreathing of God. When God breathed out His Holy Spirit in mass upon the early church. So what is this? What's happening here? Pastor, I thought you only get filled with the Holy Spirit once. No, no, no. 
Stop coasting on an old anointing. Stop coasting on yesteryear's testimony. God's got something new for you. God has a fresh anointing. This is a fresh anointing for the early church. In Acts 4.31, it's a fresh infilling for what lies ahead. It's a fresh anointing, a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit for the days that are before them. And that's what God wants to do here. That's what God wants to do for you and I. God's not looking for uh, sissy, namby-pamby Christians walking around with their head down, uh, hiding in the sand, and oh me, oh my, all is lost because of the election. Oh, God doesn't want you to have a wishbone. He wants you to have a backbone in the name of Jesus and square your shoulders and lift up your head. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. He's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. There it is. I want you to circle that scripture within your Bibles. I want you to circle it. Spoke the word of God. What? Boldly. Boldly. This last day's anointing that God desires to pour out in his church upon you and I is the same spirit, the same person, presence, and power of Pentecost. Not a new spirit, same spirit, but a fresh anointing. A fresh anointing. Amen. A fresh anointing of God confidence, a Holy Ghost boldness as we move into the days ahead, as we raise our grandchildren, as we raise our children. A Holy Ghost anointing that says, I will remain steadfast. I cannot, I will not, I will not compromise. Here I stand. true story out of the Russian underground church. In the days of Stalin, in the days of pure, unadulterated, evil communism, and by the way, study Stalin and you'll find that he killed and slaughtered more than Adolf Hitler. The underground church, one local underground church was meeting in a basement of a factory one night when suddenly the doors were burst open. In leather jackets, I've been there, I've seen them. I was there on the day that communism collapsed in Moscow, scared to death. I've seen them in the KGB in their black leather jackets. They burst into that underground church service with machine guns poised and lifted up and said, we give you one minute, one minute to decide if you are committed to the cause of Jesus Christ or are willing to compromise. If you remain, you will be shot to death. One minute. People began screaming. People began crying. Some were calling out to God. In that one minute, half the church vacated the other half were huddled with their children and grandchildren at the altar. Can you imagine? And then the guns went down. And holy hands were lifted up as these KGB said, we salute you, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are KGB, but we are born-again, blood-washed believers. We are true soldiers of the cross, and we could not afford to join a church of compromise, but only of the committed. And we want to belong to you, the true people of God. Is it coming to that? I don't know. But this one thing I do know, our God is able to do that which is exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine, ask or think.
A future America might mean censorship of what we preach and teach. It might mean the elimination of religious liberty as we know it. It might mean a fiery furnace of persecution entailing the loss of a job, a business, or a scholarship to go to college, or even to go to college itself. But the Holy Spirit's anointing can empower us to be like those three young Hebrew men that I love preaching about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They lived in such an hour. They lived in the dark occultic days of Babylon. They were there when the king told them, as soon as you hear the music, as soon as the band plays, you better bow down and worship my golden image. If you do not bow down, you're going to burn in my fiery furnace. What did those three Hebrew teenagers, what did those three young men say and declare to that king, Oh king, <laughs> our God is able to deliver us from your hand, but even if he chooses not to, we're not going to bow. We'd rather burn than bow. Oh God, give us that kind of anointing. Oh God, move within us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to take our stand and not compromise, cop out, or cave in, but to remain steadfast and faithful to you. They're thrown into the furnace, but God made it cool in the furnace. So cool that the king looked in and he said, I see one, I see two, I see three, but there's a fourth man who appears to be the Son of God. He's walking and talking with them in the fire. He's walking and talking with them in the furnace. And the king had to even call them out. They were having so much fun walking and talking with Jesus in the fire <laughs> that the king had to invite them, plead with them to come on out. What does that tell us? in your fire of affliction, when times seem to be the worst, when it seems like there's no hope, uh, that's when God can be more real than ever before. That's what this anointing will do in your life if you'll seek it, if you'll knock for it, if you'll ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. Are you thirsty for more of God? Are you hungry for more of His Spirit? There's a last day's anointing that God is waiting to give his people. Despite the world's threats, despite the insults that come from Hollywood, the media crowd, and others might hurl at us, the Spirit's anointing enables us with God confidence that this, this is not our home. I'm proud to be an American, but I'm a whole lot prouder to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And one day, one day, I'm going home, home where I belong. When you receive, when you walk in this last day's anointing, you are reminded you're what God says you are. You're reminded you're not what the world says you are. You're not what your past says you are. You're not what your flaws, foibles, mistakes, and failures say you are. You're not what old devil and demons of hell say you are. You're what God says you are. You're a child of the king. <laughs> the royal blood of heaven flows through your veins. This last day's anointing that I'm preaching about means that you are equipped by the Holy Spirit to have what God says you can have. I'm talking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking love, joy, peace. That's abundant. I'm talking about a joy unspeakable. When you have and walk in this last day's anointing and blessing of the Holy Spirit, we have what God says we can have. We can have divine favor. We can have the promises of God. We have eternal life. And best of all, we have the one who will never leave us nor forsake us. He sticks closer than any brother. I'm talking about Jesus. But there's more. There's more. Isaiah 10.27 says that the anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke. When I heard that as a young kid, I thought it was the yoke of an egg. The yoke here is bondage. The yoke here is imprisonment by the enemy. The yoke here is a, a controlling spirit in your life. 
It could be a controlling fear over the days that lie ahead. Listen, I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about the next 24 hours, but I know the one uh, who holds tomorrow in his hands. And he sends his Holy Spirit. He sends his anointing that breaks every bondage, breaks every impossibility, every hindrance that the enemy would like to hold up before you. Let's repeat it again. This anointing, this anointing equips you to be what God says that you are. This anointing equips you to have what God says you can have. And this anointing uh, empowers you to do uh, what God says you can do. Uh, we can speak in his prayer and praise language, God's power language. We can boldly proclaim uh, the gospel and be witnesses of Jesus any place, any time. We can heal the sick and cast out demons. We can win our world for Jesus, for we are who God says we are. We have what God says we have, and we can do what God says we can do. We can do all things through Christ Jesus, who strengthens us. The Bible says that Pastor John and Pastor Peter, it'd be like Pastor Hal and myself, were hauled into court, hauled and the day might come, knowing me, <laughs> the day might come, Peter and John were hauled into court before the religious leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, 70 elders of Israel. These were the same ones that had orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin threatened them with torture, threatened them with imprisonment, threatened Pastor Peter and John with death. How did those men respond? The Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter looked up and said, you are the ones that crucified the Son of God. You chose to kill your only Messiah that God had sent to you. But I declare this day, there is no other name uh, in heaven or on earth whereby we might be saved, save the name of Jesus. And the Bible says the Sanhedrin were taken aback. They noted that these two men were uneducated. They were unschooled. They noted that these men had not been to their seminaries as they had been, but they were articulate. Uh, they were bold in their oratory. They were moved by their words. And the Bible says they took note these two men had been with Jesus, walking and talking with Jesus, had had such an unreal impact upon their lives. When the Holy Spirit is anointing you, when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter is walking with you, your Holy Helper, equipping, empowering you, enduing you with power from on high, with His anointing, people will take note that you have been with Jesus. Jesus is being Jesus in you. They don't see you. They don't see your talents. They see that you've been with Jesus. Oh, I want people to see Jesus being Jesus in me. Lord, hide me behind your glory. Lord, I want them to see Jesus. Our world is rapidly moving towards the greatest storm in all history. God's word is a faithful weather forecaster. I want to be a faithful spiritual meteorologist and tell you that the storm is coming. Indeed, it's already here. 
fill in the last blank with me this morning. Around the world, there's a last day's anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing like a mighty river. Flowing like a mighty river. If I had the time to tell you about the Holy Spirit outpourings in Burkina Faso, in Tanzania, in South Africa, the continent of Africa is just being blown away by the Holy Spirit of God. Muslims are, are falling down under the Spirit of God and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. You heard that from the Swanepoles last week. If I had time, but I don't. There's a mighty river of the Holy Spirit flowing. Are you in the river? Are you in the river? Or are you settling for business as usual? Are you saying, I don't need a mighty flow. I'll settle for a trickle. He's not the God of the trickle. He's not the God of a yesterday's testimony or anointing. He wants to do a fresh work, a fresh anointing in your life today. All the power of God is ready to be breathed upon you. It's up to you to receive. God can't receive for you. He's ready to give. It's up to you to receive. Oh, I forgot. No, I didn't. I don't plan on and I don't plan on Lakeside Assembly of God being here to see and witness the Antichrist. We don't plan. We don't plan on being here for the Great Tribulation. Let me preach this glorious truth. You might call it escapism. If it is, I wear it like a badge of honor. I'm not looking for Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Because my Bible and your Bible says that he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up <laughs> to be in the air, to be with him forevermore. What a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see. Stand with me this morning. Stand with me right now. Hallelujah. What a day that will be when Jesus we shall see. Preacher, you sure get awful dramatic, awful passionate. Hey, I watch the people react to the Chicago Cubs. I, I am mellow compared to them. Sir, sir, because I'm reading your thoughts right now. Ma'am, if you think I'm overly dramatic or I'm overly passionate, Hey, if you can't get passionate about Jesus, what can you get passionate about? Now, I, I, I could give you a very dry, articulated oratory with eloquence of using high-sounding vocabulary. I have no problem doing that. But I choose to get excited about Jesus and all that He has for you and I in this day, in this hour. How about it? Have you made your rapture reservation? Do you know that you know that you know that when Jesus comes, you'll be ready? Most of his parables dealt with being ready. Have you made your rapture reservation? If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, You've made it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow our heads right now. We close our eyes. And Lord, we confess that indeed we do not know about the days ahead. But we know our Jesus. And Lord, you're already there. You're the omnipresent, everywhere present God. You're already in our tomorrows, making crooked ways straight, making a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, there are those here this morning that are not ready 
for rapture day. They're not ready for your coming. Lord, their names are not written in the book of life. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, open up their eyes that they may see, tug at their heart that they may choose life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. A prayer that will make you right with God and give you a home in heaven. This morning, if you would like to be included in this prayer, as heads are bowed and no one is looking around, all you need to do is express your faith. Just lift up your hand. That'll let me know that you want to be included in this prayer. Just lift it up right now. If you want to know that you know you're right with God and on your way to heaven, lift up your hand. Yes, God bless you. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, number eight, nine, ten. How many more? I'm looking up on the balcony. I'm looking up on the balcony this morning. Come on, you folks are closer to heaven. Number 11, God bless you up on the balcony, precious Jesus. Number 12, God bless you. Keep those hands lifted up. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me. And for you that have your hands lifted up, own this prayer. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. And I confess, I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus for hearing me for changing me I thank you for saving me in the name of Jesus I receive this as I believe it Amen